This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. All right, real quick before we get started on the show, I'm just going to talk about Treeline Academy. You've heard me say it. I can't even tell you how many times. Um, Mark Livesey is treelineacademy.net. That's treelineacademy.net. Sign up. Use the promo code PC2020. Save yourself 20 bucks. Can't say it enough. It's awesome. Amazing. Most comprehensive e-scouting course out there. Check it out for yourself. Sign up. Use promo code PC2020. And now let's get to the show. All right. So I'm sitting here and I am talking to Adam Miller. So, Adam, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself for all the listeners listening right now? Yeah, so I am the host of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast, and uh, the self-proclaimed, uh, my claim to fame, what's helped me grow my podcast and do everything is, I'm the world's worst bow hunter, <laughs> and uh, that's kind of, you know, disingenuous, like, to a point, but um, all the mistakes i've made them and uh it's just uh one of those things but we have basically uh i started a podcast back in 2017 maybe um i think 16 into 17 um i was listening to podcasts and uh then i was like there's no hunting podcast and i started listening to hunting podcasts and working class bow hunter was out there and then there was some some bigger like produced ones but nothing I, I say it like this like there was no podcast about people not killing things um it was all <laughs> these guys with these managed farms and all this stuff and i was like that doesn't really represent like me or the people who 
who I hunt with. Um, and not that we weren't killing anything, but everything was like public land. And then, um, you know, we, we kind of at that time, like in 2017 or 18, whenever it was like, then there was like this big boom of like public land podcasts and um, we, everybody was kind of fighting for guests and we were awful at podcasting and their <laughs> quality was terrible. And, uh, but there was a big attrition rate. And so we've just kind of <laughs> stuck with it and kind of, you know, fell into our own as far as um, talking to people, uh, made some really great friends in the industry and things like that. But uh, yeah, it's basically like public land, regular guys um and not doing it for um the instant any thing. sort of in any sort of fame <laughs> at all um not famous uh world's worst bow hunter like I, you, and and you know it, luke you you probably uh know this too but like when you look and you try to get better with your podcast and you're like okay what can i do to grow and like whatever the next thing is like we well, need to create a master class or like you need to write a book how do you write a book on being the world's worst bow hunter on like not killing things how to not shoot deer um master class on what not to do um that's actually so. you know that that actually could adam that could be the next master class is don't do these mistakes don't do the stupid stuff that i've done and you know what people would probably sign up and buy it too so i wouldn't exactly rule it out in fact you and i might need to get together after this and and uh, master mastermind a game plan there <laughs> to do that because we could come up between the two of us and maybe if we got like Eric too involved we could come up with like the the bow hunter's worst moments ever or something master class <laughs> that that actually right, probably and I told is a you that thing. <laughs> I told you I wasn't going to do this but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyways just because I want to know and I, maybe I just want to tell mine but like what's like your worst bow hunting like snafu like if you i mean and don't say like oh i forgot my arrows or i lost my release like those are regular you know everybody's done that that's not something that you i don't you go first i'll think of it you go first well, i've got oh i've, I've got, got i've got a lot probably but I'll, that's what i'm going to think about and i'm going to narrow it down while you talk and you tell one as you take well, over the two. podcast <laughs> i've got two um and they're kind of like the same but like and one, I feel like um, many guys have done, probably nobody likes to admit it and like that, but I've lost the bottom of my climber twice. So, you know, being stuck at the top of, Recording you know, at your, in progress. Sorry. At, your, uh, at your hunting height by, you know, you're getting set up or whatever. And uh, a two-piece climber for those that you, of guys that don't know, um climbers were a thing back in the day um <laughs> it wasn't always saddles and uh standing sticks and all this stuff that was original uh running gun <laughs> you can say screwing steps but so the i was adjusting the the bottom of my climber and my climbers were always second hand so i didn't get all the pieces to them but they make straps that are supposed to tie them together mm -hmm. and i was adjusting the the angle and the bottom of the climber is just down to the bottom of the tree. So now you're, I'm just sitting perched on this thing going like, what the <laughs> hell am I going to do? Um, and I'd use one piece climbers in, you know, many a time. So 
I had to be really careful not to drop the top part too, but luckily I had a safety harness on. <laughs> and uh, so I was able to kind of climb down normally, uh, somewhat safely. Uh, but then another time I was using a one piece climber where the seat had folded up and, and uh, so you'd, you'd fold the seat down and you'd climb up, you know, and then you'd fold the seat up and step around it and you'd sit down and there's no way to climb down if the seat is up. And I didn't realize I'd used this climber 30 times that there was little buttons on the back, like on crutches, yeah, you know, <laughs> that clicked it in. So I hunted the whole sit and it's dark out now. I'm hunting by myself and I'm going to get down and I can't put the seat down. And I'm, I don't know if I was cold or I just didn't know that they were there thinking about it, but there were gloves on whatever, but I couldn't, I didn't know that those buttons even existed, let alone that I had to push them or find them or, or whatever. And it's dark. So in that scenario, I had to climb up the tree. Uh, I'd move the belt down a little bit, climb up the tree, kick the stand down as far as I could, then repeat and this is after about 30 minutes of trying to figure out how to put the seat down then i got down to about eight feet i just lowered myself down jumped climbed back up there unhooked the stand drug it out with one hand threw it in the back of the truck went over to my father-in-law's because he had the same stance and i just threw it in the driveway and he came out and his eyes were just huge and he said how did you get down and i said you show me how to put that seat down and he just goes click click and my face <laughs> hurt my face hurt from being so angry and just cussing <laughs> at the stand and just, Oh my God, I was so, so mad. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, those are, those are a couple of things. So <laughs> with that being said, uh, my first climbing tree stand was a summit climber, uh, like the Viper two or Viper one. I think the one that had like the big beads that were on like a mm -hmm. cable. Mm -hmm. Um, and apparently the locking mechanism, it was like a spring tab mm -hmm. and, uh, it can get worn out. Like if you, over, if you press it too hard, it gets worn out and it won't like re-engage. So you can climb up, but as you're going to like push down and push tension on it, it, uh, it'll just pull that cable right out and so <laughs> not wearing a harness oh i had the bottom drop out not connected <laughs> or it, i'm sorry it was connected but i had like eight foot of strap or something so like when it dropped out and hanging there swinging it was like eight foot below so now, no matter what i did even if i like reached down with my arms i couldn't reach it and i had to like wrap my legs around the tree. Luckily it was a small enough tree and like just shimmy down like an inch at a time. Um, not wearing a climbing harness. Um, that's probably one of my dumber moments. Uh, another one would just be not wearing a climbing harness at all for like the first, I don't know, eight years I've ever hunted. Um, ladder stands, uh, hang on stands, whatever, even hanging those hang on stands <laughs> with no lineman's belt or nothing. Um, stupidity you know uh thinking you're tougher and smarter and you know have a better monkey grip than you really do um i remember at one point like when i actually shot my first deer well my first buck 
and I actually doubled up that day. But climbing up into the tree stand, I was running late. I decided to just put my bow on my arm and climb up rather because I was like, oh, screw it. So I just put it like over my shoulder, you know, with the, <laughs> like the string. Well, I ended up knocking out an arrow out of a three arrow quiver and it tink, 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 dropped all the way down. And I'm standing in the tree stand at that point, And I'm like, okay, cool. About 10 minutes later, buck comes by. It's like first legal light. Bam. Put it right through him. I can see just a big red cloud of mist. I was on cloud nine. I heard him crash. I was like, okay, I'm going to sit here for a little bit. I'm going to sit here for a little bit. And then like, there was the haptic text back then, you know, where it's like tap, 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 like five times or whatever. So I'm like shaking and I'm tapping, texting my buddy like, hey, got to buck down. You know, probably took five minutes to get that text bucked down. <laughs> so I do that. And then here comes a doe. Bam. Slam that doe with an arrow. And I'm like, oh, it wasn't as good of a shot as I thought, right? Because I shot almost straight down on her. And I'm like, this is bad. This is real bad. So then she goes and she like beds down and I'm like, okay, I can see her and I actually get and climb up onto the seat of the hang on. It was one of those gorilla. It was my buddy's stand. He put it up. It was one of those gorilla hang on stands. So it had like a nice mm-hmm. seat to it. And I was standing on the seat so I could see over a couple limbs in the next tree over and watch that doe bedded. And here comes a buck and he starts pushing that doe. And I'm like, oh man, I got three tags in my pocket. like. I could just be done for the season right now. So I climb down. <laughs> I, I leave my bow up against, up against the, the, the tree. I fold the seat up, leave the bow up against the tree. I climb down. I go to grab the arrow. And that buck turns on me and starts stomping his, his hoof and like putting his head down like he's about ready to start coming at me. And he starts huffing at me. And I'm like, this is probably a bad idea. So now I got the arrow in my hand and I'm going to climb up the tree. And then I can't remember what happened, but something happened and I just went and dropped it and hurried up and got up the tree because he started coming at me or something. And so now I'm up in the tree, no bow, standing back up on the seat. I mean, just stupid, right? Stupid stuff going on, but like an awesome day. Adrenaline's flowing, cloud nine. Finally, that buck goes away after he pushes that doe about four times. But like, Every single moment in that moment, even though it was an awesome moment, like I'll never forget it. There was a lot of stupid stuff that I've done. And like now I look back at it and I'm like, you were standing like an extra four, you know, three, four feet up higher on a smaller platform with a pad on it. Like if I would have fallen, that would have been game over. You know, I would have been potentially in a wheelchair holding my buck. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like just (laughs) stupid stuff. That now when I look back, it's like, especially saddle hunting, like now, no matter what, as soon as I get to that tree, I'm pretty much tied off to it the whole way up. Like for me, that has been a game changer. So like, there's a lot of lessons that I can take away from that as well. So what's your biggest takeaway from your, your biggest, one of your biggest like screw ups or stupid things that you've done? What's your biggest takeaway that you can say, man, I've really learned from that. And now I do this or I, I, you know, change the way I act because I know now that that was stupid. Well, I mean, I've, as far as like the safety thing goes, like I, if you, if you (laughs) think about like the original, like my, like my first bow hunt was like, I climbed up branches in a pine tree 
with a 20 pound steel stand that hooked on with a chain you know there's no cam in it over there's no nothing there's a big t-bolt that went through the center of it right with a log chain right yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and um but even then like my dad had the foresight to be like oh you need to wear a safety belt but back then it was like it was like a just a I don't, I don't know, like one of the Cordura belts that goes around the tree with a plastic buckle and then like a figure eight looking connector and then another one that just went around your waist. And so which ever would, since I was like, which would know, leave I mean, you paralyzed anyway, it'd leave you cut in half, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's why I didn't do that anymore, but <laughs> it was better than nothing, I suppose. Um, but, you know, at the time, uh, so from day one, like I've always been like, a harness guy and like even i would get up in like a a ladder stand or like a or i forgot my harness and stuff and like i I can remember like one time hunting out of my climber with uh without a harness and i just felt like so vulnerable like i felt <laughs> like i was gonna fall for sure um so from from that aspect like stupid stuff um i feel like i've always been on the safe side of being stupid like i've done stupid things <laughs> safely i guess um but but like from the 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 poor bow hunting side of it is like my mindset was always like you know it doesn't matter if the wind is wrong or if uh you know i shouldn't go into an area or i was just there or you know uh, it was always like if i have time like if i have a day off like i need to be hunting like so because that's what i am i i'm a hunter right like i need to be hunting um so i have a day off like i need to go i need to go hunt well i didn't have enough areas to hunt or i only had i was like fixated on this one spot to go to or one spot that i knew or that i thought i knew or whatever and so I would just go and just like ruin a whole area by sitting on a day that was just, just absolutely wrong. Or I think also is what a lot of guys do. And it, you know, this is probably the most, I don't know, the biggest thing that I've learned is, and it comes from being mobile, but you know, even with a climber, like I would hunt the same trees. I would go to the same area. I wouldn't move, you know, I would get into an area and I'd look and I'd say, man, there's deer over there. Like, I hope they come by me. Or I hope they come <laughs> over here tomorrow. Or yeah. I hope that, you know, and so like in doing the podcast and talking to all these high level guys, you know, my evolution has been like from the hunting side of it, but you know and so that that's one of the things when i'm talking to people who are like saying well i don't know what to do i keep seeing like are you hunting or are you hoping like are you going you know you, if you see something happen more than one time over in a different area like you need to just go over there like as long as it's not uh you know you're not trespassing on somebody else's property or whatever but you're not doing yourself any favors and it goes back to that same like if you're you know, if you feel that you need to be in the woods and you keep seeing deer in another place, then you need to go there. Or if you're, you know, sitting in an area and the deer aren't there and they just, they're, they're just continually not there. Even if you have them on your trail camera at midnight, 
Like you're just sitting there saying, well, I hope I see them. I know that they're here instead of like adjusting. And, you know, I've spent more time, like what I would consider like before what I would have considered like wasting my time, but just like wandering around in the woods now looking for sign, looking for, um, you know, a spot to set up on that I'm confident in. And there's been times where it was like a bad day to hunt. So I'll go to a new area and just wander around until it gets dark. And if I find something to set up on, I'll set up on it. But if not, then I've learned a whole lot in that area. But my focus isn't now about like, I have to get out and I have to be hunting. Um, And I think that's been my biggest takeaway is that like, there's a lot more to hunting than sitting in a tree (laughs) (laughs) yeah what my biggest like first thing that i learned uh especially like with the transition from private land where it is kind of like set and fixed tree stands and stuff like that towards like oh the wind's blowing this way okay i'll sit in this one today should be good keep my scent out of that area you know stuff like that to where going to public it's like i'm gonna wait until the weather's right you know because when you're on private land, you can do that. Oh, you know, it's it's a little warm still. I don't feel like hanging a deer, you know, or whatever. I don't feel like dealing with it. I'll just wait until it's a little bit cooler, get some nice days, cold front. That's what I'm going to go out. So is everybody else. Like, you have to take advantage of every opportunity you have. You have to pre-scout, plan, plan entries, exits, you know, all those things that normally you wouldn't have to do because you've got two entries or exits and it's set trails that you can walk on or, you know, whatever on, on private land. I mean, that is completely different. And like, one of the things I learned was like in my head, yeah, okay, this will be my exit route. And you look at it, you know, on, uh, you know, your, your online maps. And then it's like, you try and go out in the dark after you hunt an area and you can't even make it through there. It's like impenetrable thorns, you know, or briars or whatever. And it's like, you cannot physically get through it. And then it goes. So all those things you have to plan, you have to actually put boots on the ground and do some scouting and do a little research to all those things, you know, or else it's, it's going to be a tough, tough hunt for you. Well, I think you have to be realistic in your expectations too. Like on public, you can't, you can think um that you know what other hunters are going to do and you can you can have a good idea of like in your head how it's going to go down but it almost never works out like (laughs) what the way that you have it in your mind and you have to be able to like mentally deal with like everything going sideways um and that's you know uh, we had talked prior to this i've got a deer camp coming up in a week here and um guys are coming in from all over and they're guys with varying levels of uh public land experience and we're going to i think it's i think the last time i looked the the place that i clicked on was like twelve and a half thousand acres so there's plenty of land but there's no uh infrastructure around it's a lot of like um uh forestry roads and things like that and so i was telling him like you need to get familiar with 
like a your compass but b your mapping software and being able to you know get back to something known and you know mark your vehicle um that sort of thing because exactly what you said i I told the story you know there was a a combination of things but i was entering into this area and it was it was probably three quarters of a mile from the road and it was um i had to cross this big like stagnant water areas like a, a a low area that kind of like flowed like a creek but there was only like one spot where i could get through it and i had to hit that going through there and inevitably um <laughs> you know you have all the layers and all the stuff and i forgot my i didn't forget but i had a headlamp somewhere in one of my pockets but i couldn't find it for the life of me so i had one of those little clip lights that goes on the bill of your hat <laughs> but i didn't have a hat with a bill so i got my phone in one hand i got my bow in the other hand i got all my stuff on my back and i have this stupid little three led light in my mouth trying to navigate <laughs> through this and you know obviously now i'm up to my waist in water and like if i drop my phone well now like it's going to be really difficult to get back um and i'm soaking wet but i i had gotten almost all the way to the road and my my map was telling me that the road was like 80 yards to the east and i don't know like what mapping software you use, but I was using base map and I feel like wherever it's whatever direction it's telling me that I'm going, it's like almost always 180 degrees off. Like I have to switch, turn my phone upside down to like actually go. So (laughs) I'm, I'm looking at this and it's saying like the road is there. And normally what I do for my navigation you know is like you can turn off all your lights you can look and you can look out and you can usually see where the skyline changes Mm -hmm. or or whatever well the road was up higher than where i was at so i didn't really see that and then it went up so the trees on the other side of the road just made no change in the skyline but over to my right there was this giant swamp which looked really open and i could see like some light through there so i'm like that's got to be the way and i bet i bet yeah, i walked like 400 yards like towards this impending doom of a swamp that i'd never been in and nor do i ever care to go back to um and then finally i was like whatever i'm just gonna go over here it says that. so i paralleled the road at 80 yards for like 400 yards <laughs> trying to find the road and then i just popped up and you know lo and behold it was there but like you have to you know, understand how to use whatever you're using, whether it's your compass or your maps or, you know, but navigating in the dark, planning to just be in your waist up to water and then say like, what do I do now? Like at, at some point there's like, there's nothing, you have no choice. Like you still have to get back. So <laughs> being that you said that, I think one of the key takeaways there is to download offline maps because <laughs> my buddy did the similar thing that you were just talking about, and I was relying on him and his phone. And, uh, well, actually, two things. One, 
you should always have two headlamps. And I'm a big fan <laughs> of a binocular harness. I know a lot of guys aren't that are like whitetail hunters, but guess what? That bino harness, pretty much everything that I have right there, one, always a tourniquet, right? That tourniquet, we're hunters. You should have one. I mean, sharp pointy sticks with either razor blades or a, a gun that puts holes in, like everything we do is meant to like kill things, right? Knives to cut things. All the stuff we do could get yourself in a real bad situation. And the reason I keep it right there and not buried in my pack is one, just like you said, buried somewhere in your pack. You didn't know where that headlamp was. Two, it only takes like 30 something seconds on a major arterial bleed before you lose consciousness. So having it right there where it's readily accessible and able to deploy that in less than 30 seconds and tighten that windlass is huge. So always have that, but also headlamp in there, spare release for my bow. Huge. That's a big, big takeaway because guess what? If that spare release is buried somewhere in the bottom of your pack, you're also not going to have that. So like, that's a big one for me. But on top of that, like binos are in there. I slip my phone in the back. Then I got my wallet. It's zipped up. Like all the things with your tags, it's just right there on my chest. But so I'm relying on my buddy. We're going <laughs> through the woods completely pitch black that night, like just dark. I mean, hardly any, any light. And there's just enough light pollution to where there's no stars, but you can't tell, you know. And it's a decent chunk of property. And we're like, I think we're about a mile deep. So, um, and then like a quarter mile is the river. Like, so like there's a river or flowage of the river. So either way you go, like you're going to hit something. And my buddy's going along and we're going, going and following his phone. Well, it's not on offline maps. So it's not pre-downloaded. So every time it's glitching or he loses signal or something, it's just going by what's on the screen and it's not accurate. So we're, we're headed out and all of a sudden I'm like, man, we're headed in the wrong direction. No, no, look here. And he shows me his phone and like where it's pointing, like with the little light in front of it, you know, for your direction. And I'm like, no, that's wrong. I was like, look, we're headed into further darkness. And we actually went like a half mile out of the way and I go look at just like you were talking about like skyline and being able to see it I was like we don't see any skyline and I was like if we're headed towards a field edge you're going to see all that ambient light from that field just bouncing off that field from that openness I was like there's nothing I was like if you start listening we're going to like probably hear water soon in the direction we're going he's like no way I'm like I'm telling you I was like, I'll, we'll go a little bit longer. Sure enough, we ended up hitting the river. So we we're running like almost adjacent at an angle towards the river. And you could hear the river flowing. And he's like, oh, oh, man. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I know we got to go back at least the way we came. And then from there, I'm not exactly sure. I was like, but if we hit field edge, we'll know where to go. So it's one of those things that, one, knowing your maps, but also knowing how to use them properly is a big one there. And then honestly throw it, you know, like a $20 compass in there and learn how to use it and know basic direction of where things are, I think is huge. And a lot of guys don't know that. Like there's so many people these days and I don't know if like you're one of them or you're one from like the older kind of group because we used to have to remember like how to get in and out of the woods. But 
a lot of people these days, especially like newer hunters, they solely rely on electronic devices. And it's almost scary to the point that everybody relies on them. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of different uh, ways to do that. Like, so for me, like I was in the military, so I had to learn how to use a compass and all that. So I'm, I'm familiar um, at least with like, basic land nav. Yeah. Yeah. But like, you know, looking at big maps and, you know, being able to figure it out. And I, I think we were in Colorado and uh, I actually had a map and I had, you know, I had, uh, obviously I had all the things I had uh, in reach. I had my phone, but I had a map and I had a compass. And so I was like going off of the two saying, okay, I was doing like dead reckoning. So I was like, I think this is this, and I think this is this. So if I were to shoot an azimuth of X, like that should be like where the camp is. And so then I pulled up my phone and then I clicked on the camp and I said, okay, well, what would you do? And it brings up the compass and it tells you, okay. And so I was a few degrees off, but I basically, I was like, okay, I still kind of still understand <laughs> So, but one of the things that I do, and obviously it won't work in the dark, but uh, when I'm out scouting and stuff and I'm just wandering around, I always make sure like, A, I know the direction of like back to the truck or back to the road or back, whatever. But then I always pay attention to the sun. So I'm like, okay, that when I walked in, the sun was over my left shoulder. So when I walk out, it should be over my right shoulder. And then I can look and I mean, as long as I'm not out there for 12 hours or whatever, you know, I can kind of have an idea, but at the same time, like when I'm out and it happened to me, uh, last weekend or whatever, but I was wandering around and I, you know, I'm just following deer trails and looking at sign and, and whatever, but then I start to look and like, okay, what way do I need to go? And I'm like, okay, well, the sun's there. Okay. So I'm actually facing the wrong, I'm actually already walking back towards the road. Like, so I'm like, I've done a big, (laughs) I didn't realize it. Um, but a little tip, and this is one of the things I was telling, um, the guys the other night for like, even if you get to somewhere, but you don't have service or whatever. Um, I, I believe it's all of them. I mean, I use uh, a Spartan forge and then base map also and i've used on i have all of them but what you can do is you can actually put your phone in airplane mode and you still get that blue dot and your um your phone even like if you use onyx i think maybe most people are familiar with onyx but it'll just be like a green screen like there's nothing there but you can still use the functionality of onyx so you can still drop a pin at your truck and then you can still run your track and it'll create a track so you can see where you've walked and how you've walked, even if you're in offline mode and it'll put it on that green screen. And like the issues that I was saying with base map, like where I'm, I feel like I'm going in the wrong direction. I'm, I'm basically always running a track, but even if I'm not, and I think like, Oh crap, like I don't know where I'm at or what's going on. I know what way I need to go. I'll just turn on a track. I'll walk a hundred yards and then I'll know, that I'm walking at least in this direction and then I can correct. And I keep, I just keep doing that. Um, but that kind of goes back to like having to uh, understanding how to use your, your software or like your app or whatever. Um, but most people think that if they, you know, if they don't have service or they don't have the map downloaded that it won't do anything. And that's completely false. It'll still do all that. It just, you just can't see like where you're at. So it's not going to tell you where the river is, but you could see, you would have seen on there that you'd have made a big S or yeah. <laughs> whatever. 
Um, and I have a story similar to that. Like I was hunting with my brother-in-law and he's hunted this property his whole life, but, but I've hunted it the last three or four years, like super hard. Like I've, I've scoured the property. So like, I have a, it's not the way that they go in, uh, but it's an easy way to access. And, you know, but he's like, I'm, I'm going to lead my way out of here. My, my brother-in-law's like, little bit overweight he's not very tall and you know so he wasn't in the best shape he's still hunting out of a climber so he's got 40 pounds of crap on his back and he's whatever but so he starts going well you know if you're aware people you know if you're if you're actually walking and you're trying to keep like a pace count or anything like that like most people are heavy footed on one side so you'll usually drift over and he started going through this thick stuff, which I knew we were going in the wrong way because I knew where the thick stuff was, but I just was letting him, he's like, this is the way we need to go. And I'm like, I don't think that's right, but <laughs> you know, whatever. But we made a, a complete circle and we got back exactly to where we were at. And he's like, I just, I don't understand. And I'm like, well, here's what happened. Like I can lead you out of here. And uh, on our way out, he actually tripped and fell then he ended up puking because he'd overexerted himself <laughs> it was just a very comical uh uh day but like I, I feel like you know when you're following someone and they're they seem too confident um you can you can probably you should probably check your own equipment <laughs> So let me ask you this. Uh, so you, pre- I mean, it's still pretty much public, right? That you're hunting. Uh, do, mm-hmm. do you have any pieces that, uh, like, there's a couple of them that I've hunted that they allow hunters to put up the stands and like have a permanent stand, like a ladder stand. Almost ninety percent of the stuff that I hunt, you have to take it down every day. You know that, and that's why the whole saddle like makes it amazing. But some of them, some of these guys, they'll put them up at the beginning of the season, or like I think they give them like. I don't know. It's like 30 days before season, they can go out, put up a stand and all this stuff. And one of the things I've noticed, and it's like, I don't know how these dudes, maybe they follow it. Maybe they don't, but they all put them little markers, like the night eyes markers on the trees, but there'll be like 50 stands out there. And what's crazy is I've never seen people in any of these stands. Like maybe they go out for an hour and I just go out earlier than in the morning and stay later. I don't know. Or maybe they just put them up and never hunt them. That's kind of my assumption, even though I know that can't be true. But they put all these night eyes everywhere. And it's like there's so many trails of these different night eyes. And some of them are obviously the same color, even though they end at one stand and go to the next stand. Like, do you ever see that stuff? Because in my mind, I'm like, if a dude were to follow this out, like he'd end up on the totally wrong track and end up in another spot. So, yeah. <laughs> Let me, let me, uh, paint a picture for you. Okay. Uh, so, so Michigan public land, like many of these areas, um, like you can't go a hundred yards without running into a stand. Um, the, so you're supposed to take them down every year mm-hmm. and you are supposed to have your name on it like a ice shanty it's supposed to have your name and your phone number and all that stuff the one property that we hunt and um 
So I'm trying to think, well, it was 2020. I killed this buck in 2020. It's a eight point, 10 point, like whatever. It's 105 inches or something like that. Um, but I killed that one. And then I just kept working further into this other area where I'd killed another 10 point two years prior. Um, but in the area where I ended up hunting, there were 13 stands within <laughs> 200 yards and same thing. Like I'd never seen anybody hunt them. And I actually, I came to full draw on a really nice buck. Um, the two days before two days before our gun season and my father-in-law was hunting with me that day and he left his his climber out there and so we were we knew we were coming back in the morning that was the evening hunt so his climber was in a tree right like where he wanted to be for the next morning the that spot that particular spot is one mile in an eighth from the parking lot where we hunt, where we come in, you can come in from another area where it's about two miles to get in there. So we're hunting kind of like the middle of this property, you know, and we went in there, we pulled in, there was nobody in the parking lot. We walk in a mile and there's a dude in the tree, like in one of those 13 stands. And this would this stand actually, my father-in-law normally hunts maybe like 200 yards away. And uh it was like in between the two. And the guy's like, hey, and we we're like, holy shit. Like there's this guy had to come in by a helicopter, or he walked the two miles from <laughs> the other way. Like, and that was the wrong way for the wind. Like everything was poor from, to enter from the other way, but it's like, and this was, you know, an hour before dark or before light. So he had to have, I don't know how he got three (laughs) 30. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was nuts. Um, but I could in, uh, 2018, when I killed that 10 point, like we got in there way late and I was cussing up a storm. I was sweating. It was terrible there's tree stands everywhere yeah i didn't get set up until well after daylight and i was hunting out of a a xop hang on and i went up and down and up and down and up and down set my stand came down put my clothes on my warm clothes got up there i turn around i'm tying up my bow hanger and i look and like 80 yards behind me there's a ladder stand i'm like oh my god this is terrible like this is the worst like this is the worst day ever this is so stupid like i hate this and uh ended up seeing two bucks and killed a 10 point like right right in front of that guy's stand i hung the nuts like right where he could see him for sure if he was hunting there in gun season um (laughs) on purpose um but you know so and like (laughs) probably probably 400 yards from that last year well after the season had closed this is probably in february i'm walking along and i countless numbers countless numbers of of tree stands but i was walking along and uh, i saw something like shining up in a tree like down the way and i was like i need to go see what is up there 
And uh, so I go over there and there's the, the, the guy was with his mobile setup. You know, he had a nice set of uh, lone wolf sticks. Um, he took the bottom one so nobody would climb up into his stand. And it was just some, you know, metal. It, w- it wasn't a lone wolf stand. It wasn't a he, um, millennium. It wasn't any sort of lightweight stand by any means. But it had what I was seeing shining was one of those like propane heaters that you would have, like that that has the grill on it and the two big burners. And hanging from the foot, there was a footrest on this stand. There was a 20 pound propane tank, like for your grill, hanging <laughs> 17 feet in the tree. So when you say, like, do you ever encounter these things? Like in that particular like pot of land like you can go in any direction and there's night eyes every which way and they're high they're low there's two of them here there's one there like and in uh in a way like i think like somewhat like if if i know which way the the road is or the trail is like that's somewhat comforting like if i get turned around i'm like well somebody's been here before and they got out like where do these go you know (laughs) Like they got to go somewhere. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, an, another thing though, like I was, I was scouting a piece of property up, um, in an area that I, we're going to do our that group hunt up there, but I'd never been out there and I was just picking my way through fi- following deer trails and stuff. And you, you'll get to an area and you'll be like, okay, this looks pretty good. Or, um, and then you'll see, uh, trees been cut down over here so then you look around and then okay oh there's night eye so the guy must have been in that tree and then you can just follow it all the way back out you know so it's it's a double-edged sword but you can usually you know (laughs) if you're paying attention in the woods you can see like where people have been but i mean michigan is like the worst my father-in-law gets so mad about it because he's like he's like you know what we're gonna make a we're going to make a trip out there in March and we're just going to bring bolt cutters and we're going to tear them all down. We're just going to leave them in the parking lot. He gets so mad about it. I've and often talked- thought about like the same thing. You know what I mean? Like, cause there's some that like. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to hunt stand presents Saturdays at 8 30 PM. Eastern waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. One of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. It Like in that piece of property, I'll hunt it, you know, a couple times a year or whatever. And it's like so many tree stands, you pass them and they've been there. They've been there for like as long as I've hit that property, you know, like four or five years now. That same stands there. and when I go there and like look for mushrooms in the springtime, guess what? That same tree stands still there. So I know they never took it down and put it back up, you know? And it's like, it is frustrating. Yeah. And you know, he's talked to the DNR and they're like, Oh yeah, send us coordinates or whatever. And we'll go get them. But they're always there. I mean, they're, they're still there. And like, like the CEO is going to go out there and climb up some death trap of a stand that's <laughs> yeah. been there for 20 years. Like, heck no, they're not going to do that. You know? So I don't know. And, and, you know, there's an argument like, well, it's just littering. That's what he says. Like, they're just throwing their stuff out there. It's just garbage. <laughs> like, 
I did find, and I actually carried, I carried out half of it. I can't remember. We were scouting for turkeys because I had a tag on a nice chunk of public for, and it was like a draw for that turkey tag. And uh, we were scouting, like trying to find roosts and stuff. And uh, they just did a controlled burn. And I found a chunk of a climber. And it was like an old steel one. And I was like, you know what? At first, I was like, oh, it's somebody's tree stand. Like, you know, what the hell? And I started looking. And I'm like, no, that's been there for a while. Like, everything's burned off of it. So it had to been on the ground, you know. And I carried out, like, the one half. I'm like, screw this. I'm not carrying out both halves. You know, like, maybe if I come back, I'll get the other half. And I never ended up even being able to hunt that, like, area. So I never took out the other half. But. If I ever get back there, it's, I guarantee it's still probably back there. <laughs> oh, yeah. They, I mean, they, they're littered, littering uh, everywhere, everywhere. So, do you ever, ever encounter that? Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever see uh, like tree stands that have been in the tree so long it actually snaps the tree? Is that like Not a snap? No, I, but I've seen them grown into the tree. Like, that's a regular occurrence where the chain or the whatever is or like the straps are broken, but it's still the trees grown around the stand. Like that's, I mean, that, yeah. And, and in this spot that I'm, that I'm talking about, like, you'll see that. And then right above it is another one. Like, so they're like, well, that one's not safe, but it's a good spot. <laughs> right. So. I'll tell you this. So on a piece of private, I had a, tree stand that was like an old ladder one with like the chain that goes around it you know and i put that in a pine tree and uh hunted it maybe like twice and it just wasn't that great like there wasn't a ton of sign in the area and i never moved it and kind of forgot about it and like seven years later or something like that six years later it must have been a windstorm and it snapped off the top of that pine tree (laughs) flush flush with that tree stand and then like i went back there uh like two years ago and like now the buck sign back there even though i don't i can't hunt it anymore like the buck sign is just like crazy back there and i'm like man maybe that was a better a good spot you know (laughs) maybe it was better than i thought but oh well (laughs) yeah and and i i feel like that private stuff is like is hard because like in the back of your mind and especially if it's your property i mean we've got property um up in the, up in the up the upper peninsula for the people. yeah <laughs> um <laughs> but uh it's just such a long time to get there but you you'll end up like putting up a stand and you don't ever really feel like you need to take it down you're just like well we'll just put another one somewhere else and my i mean my dad was like notorious for like after the season when all the menard stands go on sale ladder stands are 50 bucks or 40 bucks or whatever you buy half a dozen of them bring them up there like oh we'll find somewhere to put them like i mean we have move stands but we'll just like put up another one let's move one over here because some you know in your mind you're like well somebody will hunt there someday it's it's an option for us you know but on on public it's like in a lot of these spots, like, like I told you, like, you know, that those, those stands, like, you know, there's more than 10 stands and some of them are ladder stands. Some of them, you know, are just 
you know, some of them are in good spots, and, but like to carry a ladder stand for a mile plus, and then <laughs> and if you've ever, you know, and if, if you're not assembling it ahead of time, like it's probably easier to carry in the box, but you know, like, let's say you assembled that thing in, ahead of time. And then you're carrying this big, bulky, ridiculous <laughs> thing out there. And you, you know, if you've ever put one up, like, and if, if you ever try to put one up yourself, like, holy shit, like what an endeavor, like that ends up being, you're like, there is no way that I'm going out there and getting that. Like, I'm not going to bring that back. It's like the $60 I paid for it at Menards last year when they went on sale Hell like, with it, <laughs> you can have it like <laughs> Like, and I think that that's more of like the mentality that, that you're dealing with. Like, I'm not going to go out there when I'm not hunting, you know, a mile deep <laughs> to retrieve this big, heavy thing, you know? And I think, you know, to that point a little bit, like, that's why the mobile thing is so much better, at least for me, is that uh, I'm not going to hunt somebody else's stand, but I can, you know, set up where I think is right, right. next to it. And, <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, and, you know, Michigan, you know, has such a big rifle hunting culture and like opening day, like, you know, there's a lot of bow hunters. And, I mean, there's tons of bow hunters now with crossbows and all that stuff. But really, when you go into a lot of these areas, like you go in there and you look and you say, okay, well, this is a good area and there's a stand over there, but it's. 80 or 100 yards over there like i want to be right on the edge right here like look at a lot of setups and i'm like that's a gun hunter like i just you can just i look at it and i say like you know this is in the wide open but it's looking at a good edge or something like that like it's not a that's not a bow stand like you walk in there and you're like okay do i does it look like there's going to be any guys coming in here to hunt there like mm, probably not so it's pretty safe that I can get up a tree over here or whatever. You know, I that, think that like that's in my mind, I think that, right? But then again, I have to remind myself that most public properties, you know, like at, at least in Illinois, they limit the number of tags to where sometimes it's only like depending on the size of the piece of property, it might only be like 12 to 15, maybe 20 tags or they'll separate them between the two gun seasons. So you'll have 20 guys or 15 guys on one gun season and 15 on the other. And I start thinking about it. I'm like, there's no way that all these guys are, you know, they're gun hunting and that's what all these stands are. Like, it's just, it doesn't add up to me. <laughs> it's like, maybe they got the gun hunter mentality, even though they're bow hunting. I don't know. So Michigan, <laughs> we, we used to have public and private land doe permits and it was, you know, you had to put it in. It was a draw for the most part. Now they're universal and you can buy 10 of them. So, oh man. So you can, you know, I, I can look at this and say, okay, is this a, is this a gun hunter? Or is this bow hunter? Like <laughs> the, there isn't like, there is no limit to the amount of people that are in the woods or that have tags or whatever. There's like, there's, there's like, I think there's two or three limited uh hunting opportunities in michigan but it isn't like you know oh there's only gonna be you know i guess there's a couple uh one of the places uh that i hunt like has a limited amount of people per square mile or in each section or whatever but 
in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't even scratch the surface of Michigan public land. That's crazy. So, I mean, it's got to be an absolute circus during like gun season. Yeah, I don't gun hunt like at all. <laughs> Sounds dangerous. Um, I mean, I've done it. Like, I went out. Um, it, so we used to. I, I grew up gun hunting on our property in the in the UP. You know, and we'd we'd have you know ten fifteen guys on two hundred acres up there. Um, but and I'd hunted some public up there too. Um, and there was there was guys, but like down here, like that property with all the stands. You know, I brought my brother in there we hunted on uh um with climbers and stuff and like we were on this like pipeline we were hunting along this pipeline and um you know you hear the bullets crack and whiz by you that's pretty scary no way i mean that's not a not a cool uh experience right and you're like fuck i gotta get down like i gotta leave you know like Man. Um, and this and that wasn't even like a i mean it was uh like thanksgiving morning so there were people out hunting that's a traditional hunting day but i mean it wasn't like opening day i can't imagine when it'd be like opening day yeah but people do it every year and they you know that that's the michigan deer camp camp mentality you know have some beers and drink and <laughs> go hunt you know it's like oh my god it's amazing there's not more fatalities and, and there definitely are like so. to me that's not like i mean and i don't knock people for that but like deer camp to me is about getting out and killing like it's not hanging out with the boys slamming the beers you know what i mean like well to me it's a so, different beer camp i understand that's like rich in tradition and whatever but so that's one of the, the crazy things like to me is like so i grew up with like michigan deer camp like my dad had a deer camp like we have the property like you go up there and it was like a rite of passage you got to go up there and it was cool and you know it was you know safe and everything like that and there was real deer camp atmosphere and i've done that a little bit with with bow hunting but i think the more you get into I don't, I don't even want to say like serious hunting, but like when you are doing these like public land hunts and you're not staying on the property. So like I've hunted, um, Ohio, Missouri, Wisconsin, um, and went and stayed places and stuff like that. But like a lot of times you have to drive, a half hour and now you're going you know a mile deep or something you're you're not hunting right there off of the the pavement and so like for example like in ohio like the first year we went to ohio we stayed an hour away from where we were hunting and it was all gated off so it took us probably an hour to get into where we were hunting and then you want to get there an hour before it gets daylight so now deconstruct that on the way back so if you hunt until eight o'clock and you have to get up at three in the morning to get in the tree by five or six o'clock there is no deer camp like <laughs> you get back and you're like we have to eat and sleep because we're going to get up in four hours so you go back you have two beers or three beers 
and then you go to sleep after you know after you've eaten like immediately and that takes the fun out of it and you know when somebody kills something like you celebrate but like it's a it's really i don't want to say that it's like difficult because like all of hunting is difficult and all this stuff but it's like you're not like for the wives out there for whatever like it is not like vacation like it's not like this very lackadaisical thing and then with the if you are chasing big bucks and you're doing it in your home state or whatever and you're hunting same story like a lot of times like like i told you like i'm in waist deep water and way out in the middle of nowhere and you know people like casual hunters or like whatever they don't want to do that so it's a very small group of people or like a or a very solo adventure right so last year and i said i don't gun hunt but i had an opportunity to go and do a a, a spike camp through an outfitter with my dad in colorado and i was like i didn't really want to do it but it was like one of those things where um you know my dad had hunted elk with his dad out west and you know my dad's getting older and you know just one of those experiences and it was a horseback ride in it was a uh it was on public uh they set up the tent for you rode you in there left you you brought in all your own food and all that stuff and then when if you shot something you called that you you quartered it up hung it in a tree gave them some coordinates they came in with horses and mules and, and took it out well i went out there and did uh, the first four days of the hunt with, uh, with my bow and wandered around. And it wasn't, it wasn't, um, like the, the cool kind of hunting. Cause I've been elk hunting a, a couple times and, uh, public land DIY go out there, you're bugling, you're chasing bugles, but that's with a bow. But I went out there with, with my bow for the first four days. I didn't call or do anything like that. Cause I didn't want to mess up these other guys. You know, there's, six of us in camp i think so i don't want to mess up their hunt or you know so i was just kind of just trying to position myself where i could shoot one with a with a bow and the first morning i sat with my dad we saw a ton of elk and all this stuff well the last day i ended up shooting one i borrowed a rifle i didn't bring a rifle i one of the guys had already killed so i took his rifle and killed elk the last day um but that camp like because you're so isolated and there's nowhere to go and we didn't have to go far to hunt because we were already camping out in the middle of the mountains was so cool and it kind of like i don't want to say like grounded me but it kind of brought me back to like that whole deer camp like experience and being able to just kind of hang out and re rehash the day without having this like oh we have to go to bed right now because like you're in the middle of nowhere it wasn't like we were driving anywhere. We just walked. So by the time you walk back in and you're cooking your, uh, you know, freeze dried meals or, or whatever, uh, you're just sitting there around, you know, BS and talking, going through the days, but it's dark. So there's nothing you can do. Like you could go to sleep or you can hang out and, you know, BS. And, and that was like super cool, like from a, from a deer camp or a, a camp perspective. And like I said, that kind of like brought me back to like, what i don't know what it's like all about versus like just going out and like every hunt doesn't have to like just have to suck to be cool like, you mean have the type two type fun all the time oh yeah yeah because <laughs> it is real type two fun i've i've come to realize like totally is real you know like 
so many times when I'm in it, it's like, man, this freaking sucks. But at the end of it, you're like, that was freaking awesome. Like, it sucked in the moment. Like, there was, like, one of my dear... I had to canoe in. My buddy was supposed to be with me. Ended up having some issues with work and couldn't make it. So it was like my whole week, every day, taking the canoe off the truck all by myself, putting it in the water, putting a little outboard on it, you know, everything. And then just backwards, right? Every evening, doing all day sits. Every evening, 8.30 at night, throwing it back on the truck, driving an hour and a half, you know, like home. And then back up. 2.30 in the morning, do it again. And I was like, this freaking blows. And then it's like, at the end of it, it's like, man, all those sunrises, the crystal clear water, like everything I saw, the fog, like in the morning and like the morning I shot my buck and actually like got to put him in the canoe and drive him out. Like that was the coolest thing in the world. Like had to push pull in cause water was super low. So I had to push pull in like 800 yards of just like pushing through super quiet you know every morning and like by the third morning I didn't even use my headlamp anymore I was like I know how far I gotta go I know when I get to this tree I'm gonna pull in right there and drag the canoe up and then you know walk and it's like all those experiences and then you think about it and you're like man I remember every little bit of that and even though it sucked it's freaking amazing like those experiences and it, and it made it almost even better like my buddy wasn't there because he didn't share in the work. He didn't do like everything I did led up to that moment where I actually took that buck and where actually the one that's right there. <laughs> but uh, like the fog, I got a picture of the fog with the sunlight beaming, just starting to beam through the trees and it like illuminated the fog. It was amazing. Like nobody can ever take that away. And I think because of the work that went into it, it's permanently ingrained into my brain. It's kind of cool. <laughs> but also I totally understand sitting around like being able to BS and like hang out and just kind of talk and rehash the day. That's pretty cool too. Well, it, and I think it's, I don't know, like, well, like this deer back here, like I shot that deer by myself and there was, it was like, yeah, that's awesome. But there was like nobody to high five, like nobody <laughs> to share it with, you know, everybody, like I had to call somebody <laughs> to help me get them out of there and all this stuff. And it was like, I don't know. I, I, I love like the hunting, like the camaraderie and the, all of that, you know, like, well, I mean, I guess if you're like a terrible hunter, like if you're not a good bow hunter, like you have to be around people that know what they're doing. You could share in their successes. Right? You know, maybe that's why <laughs> you say that though. Like maybe that's why earlier on, like I always felt that I had to have a hunting buddy and all that stuff. And it's like the further, and maybe that makes sense. And like, you're just now bringing it to light, like as we talk about it, but, as I progress, the more and more I find myself doing things solo and enjoying it more. Nobody to have to like answer to or be like, oh yeah, let's go here. Hey, I'm going to get down because I'm cold or whatever, right? Like none of that happens anymore. It's me. And then it's me saying, don't be a pussy. Stay up here. Don't kill in that little inner bitch. You know, like just say it, shut up keep going to it <laughs> like and there's nobody else to like talk you off that ledge <laughs> yeah so i mean it, for me it's not that uh, i i had i the, the drill instructors did that for me like the marines 
teach you like where your <laughs> level of breaking is. Um, so I, I, I go out there and I'm like, I'm perfectly capable of this. And I think from like the soul <laughs> aspect of it, I, I think it's like, I, I just think it's like better to like be able to share in someone else's success or like to have somebody like share in it with you. Like where I'm at right now and like my hunting journey, I think is like, like now, like when I went to Wisconsin last year, I was in Wisconsin for, for three days or five sits, you know, and I just wandered around until I found like good sign. And I could, I got, a, I, I saw bucks, like four of the five sits and uh, I could have killed the smallest eight point that I've ever seen. And <laughs> I was like, you know, I was like, well, I'm just going to shoot whatever. Cause it's like a, such a, you know, short hunt. And I mean, this deer wasn't even like outside of, let alone taller than its ears. Like the rank was like this. Can you imagine how big that deer would be though? Like being that it's yeah. an eight point now, like give that oh, deer yeah. an honest five years. Like, holy crap. Yeah. And, you know, so for me, like I was just by myself, but I had a deer camp to go back to. So I went, it was with the latitude guy. So I went back and hung out with those guys, but I was driving, you know, 30 minutes and, you know, but I, I was literally just wandering around by myself. But for me, it's like now proving to myself that like, okay, I can figure this out. Like, it isn't necessarily like the having to answer to anybody or like, <laughs> you know, having somebody to bounce ideas off with. Um, but it is like, I like that experience because I think the whole reason that I like really have dove into this podcast so well is because I love the, this conversational aspect of it. Like I'm, I'm always learning and now i'm at the point where like i'm to applying it um and i gotta answer so many damn questions now too <laughs> like where it's like you know and i think honestly like where that's where a lot of people get i think like separated from like okay i want to start a podcast because i want to be something or i or i think that i know a lot about hunting like from my perspective is like I've hunted for as long as I can remember and I can, you know, tell you when I was doing the same thing with my daughter, like I had a butter knife and I was skinning deer and, you know, back <laughs> when I couldn't have a, a, a knife sharp enough, you know? And so, so this is what we do anyways. And forever I was having these conversations and trying to get people into hunting. Like my buddies, I was like, Hey man, we've got all the stuff. If you want to go hunting, like we've got the spot to go in like sharing the experience that I love so much with somebody else. And I think that like, yeah, as I go further into this, like it is a, a, a solo endeavor because like I said, people don't like to do that type two fun right. stuff. They're like, because my, I've, I've got, I got two brothers. Um, one of my brothers goes like, I think this year he's going to Kentucky. He's spot and stock hunted, uh, South Dakota all the time. And he's really successful and, but he puts in the work and all the time. My other brother, on the other hand, he wants to go to our cabin in the UP. He wants to <laughs> yeah. walk 
400 yards. He wants to sit in the ladder stand. He wants to not be at work. And if he shoots a deer, fine. If not, whatever, he's not at work. Like, and both of them identify as hunters, right? They, they're, yeah, I hunt, you know, I hunt a lot. You know, I hunt every year, every opening day, every time, you know, every year I hunt, they're both hunters, but it's just a different level of, you know, uh, commitment or uh, goals or, you know, drive. But like I say, we've been doing this forever. I've been having these conversations. I've been talking about gear, trying new stuff. Um, and I think that it, that's what it is for me is like the community type aspect of it. Oh, no, I like that. I do. I love the community aspect of it. Like there's nothing more than being able to, you know, share, like you said, like an experience or whatever, but I just find, I don't know. It's kind of weird. Like just, I feel like those moments, like even though they're not shared with somebody these days, you take a picture and you can share it with them. I know it's not the same as being able to high five a buddy or whatever, but I don't know. These days I don't even call buddies. to get them out anymore. <laughs> I just, quarter them up and put them in a pack and take them out <laughs> no more dragging for this guy <laughs> you learn how out of shape you are it's easier to throw yeah. it on your back <laughs> oh yeah. yeah what's that uh the bar stool guy or whatever says uh something don't throw your back out don't ask for help <laughs> be a man <laughs> that definitely applies <laughs> So uh, it's been good talking to you, Adam. We could probably just BS all night, but uh, why don't you tell everybody before we go where they can find you, listen to your podcasts, maybe join your Patreon, do all kinds of cool stuff, be part of the community. Yeah, so, I mean, we're basically everywhere. You can find uh, podcasts where not to kill things. Um, so Spotify, <laughs> Apple, <laughs> Pandora, um, I'm think we were number seven in india at one point so very nice um, <laughs> you know so to all our indian listeners i really appreciate it um, <laughs> but you know we've got uh, most of the podcasts go on youtube uh, as video and we've got some gear review type stuff there um the website's bowhunterchroniclespodcast.com um you can see um everything that we do is there but we're we've been doing it a long time so there's a a lot we're very searchable when you say we <laughs> so you, you mean, can find us you mean you or well uh so i do this with my wife's cousin also um he's a bow nerd um from like a gear side and he's very uh analytical uh, he builds our bow strings he tunes all of our bows he does all of that stuff and so he keeps me like grounded. He's more of a introvert, very analytical, uh, listens a lot, speaks little, uh, but when he talks, you need to listen because he's, you know, <laughs> he, he's telling you like what I said wrong or like things that like, no, you can't do that. You can't say that. Uh, <laughs> that's not actually right. Um, so, but, but also like my father-in-law is on the show quite a bit. Um, because he uh, represents a whole bunch of different things, but he represents like the older generation. So he worked. Uh, so my wife's cousin, my wife's uncle, John, and my father-in-law, Frank, worked at the two sporting goods stores 
the archery shops here in Muskegon where I live. So they were around when they switched from recurve to compound and they've seen the entire, uh, you know, shift and trend and through all this hunting. I mean, my father-in-law met Fred bear. Um, he was good friends, uh, with, uh, one of Fred bears hunting partners, um, who actually willed him some, uh, heads and some, some arrows and things like that. Um, so there's the, the history piece on like what they used to do back in the day, um, all the way up to like the things that we do now, but it's a really cool because it's a, a legacy piece, I guess, for my father-in-law, like my daughter and like my wife's whole family will forever have, you know, uncle Frank's stories to, to listen to through the podcast. So it's really fun to have the old hunting stories and, and, and some of that stuff be shared. Um, and for the, uh, you know, digital deer, deer camp feel when you get us all in a room, just talking about all the dumb <laughs> things that we did over the years. Um, I think that that's where people get, you know, it's very endearing, uh, to people as well. So. That's pretty cool, man. Um, thanks for coming on and, uh, thank you for sharing. And, uh, hopefully we educated some people on some things, what not to do. <laughs> And yeah, uh, hey. yeah, have have a good one, man. Yep, you too. Thanks, Luke. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenge.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.